It is good to be with you guys. It is. It is. It's good to be with God's elect because the people that show up on December 26th, congratulations, you're saved. All right, there's your proof. I just, please don't, please don't report me on that. That's totally a joke. Um, trying to get the blood moving a little bit this morning. Hopefully your guys' energy is doing all right. You guys awake? You feeling it? All right. All right, usually, because this is the day, you know, everybody comes down off the Christmas high, right? It's just like, then you had Christmas Eve, and then you had Christmas Day, and maybe things were crazy, maybe you were running around, and then you're coming into this Sunday, and it's just like, whew. So I've got a little something here to kind of get our minds going, right? A little dexterity, a little, a little alertness, and I know we've got our students in here as well. We've got our kids in here. How are we doing, guys, back there? Good to see you. I see some back there. How are you guys doing? We got, some, we, got, we got some kids in here. It's good to see you. So this is what we're going to do to get the blood moving this morning, all right? I want you to take your right hand and put your thumb up like this, all right? Right here. Your other right. No, that's all right. You got it. All right, right, right thumb. Now you're going to take your left hand and you're going to point at that thumb, all right? This is a great little exercise to do. Gets the mind firing. Now what you're going to start doing is you're going to start reversing them back and forth. Oh, nope. Uh, I, I, I had actually practiced this. Hold on. Oh, there, there, no? Okay. Well, that's what kind of a Sunday we're in for. All right. But maybe some of you students can work on that for a little bit, keep you going. This isn't my first rodeo. I'll help you parents out, all right? So there you go. Hey, man, it is. It's it is a tiring time, but it's not just a physical tiring time. It's, it's an emotionally exhausting season for a lot of us as well. 2021 has been, has been a year, to say the least. I actually read this about two weeks ago. Early December, there was an organization that did a survey of 1,000 adults. And of the 1,000 adults that they surveyed, they said that 2021 was the worst year of their lives. Now, that was substantially higher. That was up around the 60 percentile for your Gen Zers and your Millennials. Those of us who are Gen Xers, or maybe you're a boomer, uh, we were more in like the 40 percentile. But it ended up to be about half. Half of people saw 2021 as the worst year of their life. And maybe you can relate to that, or maybe close to it. It's been a challenging year, and as we've come into this season of Advent, we titled this series, A Weary World Rejoices. Because, man, here, here's the deal, too. This is the last Sunday of 2021. You believe that? When we gather here for worship again, it'll be January 2nd, 2022. And I think a lot of people in this room, and I think a lot of people outside of this room, are going into this week and the close of this year with a lot of hope. A lot of hope that 2022 is going to be so much better than 2021. We really, we really speak in a currency of hope. And maybe you never really thought of this. I had it until I read this. But we, we throw out the term hope all the time. And maybe we're not even aware of it. But I mean, think about it. Think about this Christmas season, right? Think about how often you referenced hope. Man, I, I hope the family can get in okay. Flights have been kind of crazy. Man, I hope everybody gets along this Christmas. Man, I hope I get what I want. I hope that they like what I got them. I hope the meal is good. I hope this relationship works out. I hope my job takes off this year. 
I mean, if you think about it, think of all the ways that we use the term hope in just everyday language and everyday life in our lives. And yet here's the thing. More often than not, we use that term, but we end up being left disappointed, don't we? Ted Lasso. Maybe you've seen that show. Uh, it's on Apple TV. But one of the phrases that they say in that is they say, it's the hope that kills you. He's a uh, premier soccer league or football league coach. And their team going into the big game, they say, oh, it's the hope that kills you. And anybody that's a sports fan knows that. Because I don't care how bad your team is, when you start out the year, what do you always think? Hey, hey, if a couple things go our way, oh yeah, oh yeah, we could totally make the playoffs. And then you win like two games, right? But every year we go in with this hope. But man, sometimes it's the hope that kills you. And yet, and yet, Christmas is a season of hope. Because here's the problem. So often in our language of hope and how we communicate hope and the hope that we look to, we always look to hope on something that I will reference, and I get this from a pastor up in Philadelphia. This is not mine. Everything great is stolen. Everything awful, that's me. All right? He says that our hope is tied to that which is horizontal. Our hope is tied to things that we see in this world. Our hope is tied to relationships. Our hope is tied to our health. Our hope is tied to policy and politics. Our hope is tied to something here that we're placing trust in and hope in and faith in. And our idols that leaves us ultimately wanting in a temporary and fallen world. But here's what Christmas does. And here is how a weary and tired world begins to rejoice because our hope moves from the horizontal to the vertical. This is a season that all of us need over and over every year. Pastor Cassidy, our senior pastor who preached on Friday uh, for, good, uh, for Christmas Eve. Good Friday's coming up in a little while. Again, here we go. Um, but for Christmas Eve said what? That this is an opportunity for us to be reminded because, oh, how quickly we forget and how quickly our hopes are once again tied to the fact that 2022 is coming. It'll be better. It'll be better. This will change. That'll happen. Oh, I hope this works out. No, no, no. Our hope, our hope is not in wishful thinking and in policies and in health and in this or in that but it is tied to the vertical and to a God who loves us, who cares for us, who came after us, Emmanuel, God with us. And in the short amount of time that we have here, we're going to look in Luke chapter 2, and I want us to read an account of a man who understood hope realized when he met the young infant Jesus we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, as I just said a minute ago. It will show up on the screens, but if you have your Bible, man, I'd encourage you to pull it out and follow along with us. You can pull out your phone too. I'm cool with that. I have no problem with that. You can go to BibleGateway.com and you can follow along there. This is Luke 2. We're going to look at verses 25 through 33. Luke records his testimony of the life of Jesus in the second chapter. Picking up in verse 22 through 33, the word of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, he was righteous and he was devout. 
And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for the hope that had been promised to Eve, that had been promised to Abraham in his line, as well as that of Judah and David, the covenant maker, the new covenant, who would, who would restore Israel and God's kingdom. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, he continues, And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, okay, when the parents had brought in the child Jesus, so they're bringing him in. This is about 40 days after Jesus was born. So he's a young guy, right? They're bringing him into the table, uh, temple to be, to be dedicated. Um, to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. So Simeon takes Jesus up in his arms, and blessing God, Simeon says this, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Joseph, his father, and Mary, his mother, marveled at what was said about their son, Jesus. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, may we marvel today at what is said and what is learned about Jesus. Lord, I invite your Holy Spirit here. Lord, I pray that we be reminded anew and afresh of where our hope lies and why. Lord, all of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So looking at this, there's really three quick things I want to draw your attention to. If you take notes, you can jot them down now. But so often, as I said before, our hope is what? But it's, it's horizontal. And when we look to reestablish a vertical hope, not a horizontal hope. There's three ways that we do that. And three ways that I see that Simeon's hope was anchored in God, not in what was around him. One, he had an eternal hope. It was not a temporary hope, but it was an eternal hope. Secondly, it was a personal hope. It was a hope tied not to a wish, but to a person in Jesus Christ. And third, it was a shared hope. It wasn't something that he had alone. So at the beginning of this passage, it actually picks up in 25 is what we're looking at here. As I said before, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, have brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. This is 40 days after he has been born. And so they're coming to dedicate him, but as well as, well as the rites of purification. So Mary and Joseph are doing what they're supposed to do. They're showing up at the temple. And here Simeon shows up. And we know Simeon. We don't know much about him. In fact, the only thing we know about Simeon is what we just read it's not a whole lot, but we know he's devout and he's righteous, which means he's a pious, religious man who treats others well. We also know that he's pretty old and that God has told him, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel. This is the comforter. This is the redeemer. This is the one who will reestablish God's kingdom. Not in a political sense, which most people in that day and age thought. Most were looking to a Messiah who would reestablish David and Solomon's kingdom. 
But this is, no, the consolation, this is the comforter. John will continue this by, by re- referencing the Spirit, really, as that great comforter the cons- the, um, uh, for Israel. But it's this, this is the Messiah that he is waiting for. And so he comes into the temple, and, and in that sense, here's what Simeon had. Simeon had an eternal outlook for his hope, not a temporary or immediate one. This is so true of my hopes that get dashed. This is so true of my hopes that leave me, that leave me wanting and exhausted. Years ago, uh, I, I meet with a counselor, and uh, one of the things that he had encouraged me to do when I was going through a season of just I was just tired, right? But I feel like that's kind of life. <laughs> um, he, had, he, had, he had challenged me. He said, look, you've got to get a weekend away with your wife, and you need to put it on the calendar. We have four kids, love our kids, but man, it is so important to get away with your spouse, and I would encourage that for you. But the thing that he got me with, he said, you got to plan it, and you got to put it on your calendar. He's like, it needs to be on your calendar, and every day you need to be looking towards that day. Because when you look at that, what that's going to do is it's going to sustain you in the months leading up to it. How many of you were growing up remember that? When you would get to the last day of school, what do you do? I was a teacher, but you remember this, right? You're looking towards that final day. And what does it do? It propels you through those dog days of June or of May, right? You know what I'm talking about right there. What does it do? But it propels us. Vacations do that as well. Those moments that you're so looking forward to, that you put on the calendar, they energize you during those dry spells and during those seasons of like, oh man, am I going to make this? Well, here's, here's something that Martin Luther said, and here's what Simeon did, and here's what we're being challenged when we take our hope from a horizontal to a vertical. Martin Luther said that there are two days on my calendar. There is this day, and there is that day. And when Luther said that, what he's saying is, look, there's the here and now, but there's the day when Christ returns. There is the day when Christ makes all things new. There is the day when every tear is wiped away, when death is no more, when we will dwell in this place with God himself, and we will dine at the table of the wedding feast of the Lamb. You can read about that in Revelation as well as in Isaiah. And believer, you get caught in the dog days of life. But what are you looking to? If all of your hope is tied into 2022, and hopefully that it's better, and that these policies get better, or that this inflation stops, or that COVID goes away, or that this relationship and this marriage works out, or whatever it is, it ends up leaving us wanting and tired and exhausted. And it doesn't mean that those things don't matter. But when we lose sight of that day, when that's not on our calendar, our hope becomes frail and exhausting. So Simeon had an eternal outlook, right? He understood this day, but he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was like, Lord, I know it's coming. And he was looking towards that. The second thing is this, is that his hope was personal, It wasn't just a wish or a hope so, but it was rooted in a person. He says this at the beginning of his psalm, or his song in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Here's the funny thing about hope, right? It's almost kind of like a contradiction when you think about it. 
But the only way you really have true hope is when you begin to realize your hopelessness. I mean, think about that. The reason why you hope for something is because you realize you're completely hopeless to make it come about. And you're like, man, I really hope this works out because I can't do anything about it. Here's, here's a man who's whose hope is being removed from the horizontal to the vertical because he realizes his hopelessness and his need for salvation. It's the gospel message for you and I. It's the message that comes in the fact that when we realize our hopelessness in our sin, when we realize our complete alienation and inability to do anything anything about it, and that death is coming whether you like it or not, Even during the Christmas season, have you ever thought about it? We can't escape even death. We try, but for those of you that have real Christmas trees, there are some of you still left, I think, right? We went went fake a couple years ago, sorry. But um, man, right now, your tree is doing what? It's dropping needles like nobody's business. Even there. Think of it this way. Let's say, I, I like to whitewater raft, and maybe you've been whitewater rafting, but you're out whitewater rafting. You're out by yourself, maybe on a canoe or on a raft, kayak, and it flips, and you get thrown out, and you're riding down this river, and you reach out, and what do you do but you grab a piece of wood that is floating in the river. Now, this river eventually is coming to a big waterfall, and you're going to go over it, and you're hoping, okay, look, I got this piece of wood, it's going to be Okay. We're going to make it. But you know what? Sooner or later, you're going to get to the end of that river and you're going to go over those falls. But you know what? You're hoping that piece of wood's going to help you out. You're really hoping, you know what? It'll be okay. We'll make it. No, 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 no. See, the good news of the gospel, and when we realize that hope is personal, is when we realize, oh, no, 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 we're going over that falls. My sin carries a consequence of death, not just my physical death, but an eternal death. A separation from God forever. And in my complete hopelessness, there has to be another way. There comes a point on that river where you realize, this piece of wood ain't going to do it. I can't do anything to get to the shore. I am utterly hopeless in my sin. And there on the shore stands a man with a rope. And he takes that rope and he throws it out to you. And he says, take the rope. What fool in his right mind, would not grab for the rope. And yet that's the good news and the good hope of the gospel. Is that God did not leave us to travel down that river with our temporary hopes that will do nothing to save our souls. But Emmanuel, God with us, this Jesus whom we just read about, did what? But he became a man taking on flesh in willing and obedience, in his perfection, giving up his own life on the cross, shedding his own blood, taking death upon himself for you and for I, to those who in faith say, no, I need what you offer. My hope is in you, no longer in me. In the hopelessness of my sin, there must be something else. That is a personal hope. That is a relational hope. And with a God who did not die on the cross, but then rose three days later and will come again to make all things new. Simeon realized that when he held Christ in his arms 
And we need to be reminded, for those of us who are in Christ, our hope is not horizontal, it needs to be vertical. And then finally is this, our hope is shared. I love the last verse. It says that Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him. But just think about this, all right? I know not everybody in this room has had kids, but go with me on this, okay? Those of you who have understand this, they're 40 days in on their first kid. They're 40 days in on their first kid, right? I get it. It's Mary and Joseph. They're like, they've seen angels, virgin birth, you know, but they had a kid in a stable, all right? They had to travel to a foreign town to have that kid. They're 40 days in. There's a good chance they are major sleep deprivation at this point. I guarantee you Mary has snapped at Joseph a couple times, and Joseph has been like, what am I doing? It's not even my kid, right? And he's just like, I'm guaranteed, I promise you that they got into it. And they are exhausted, and they're at their wit's end. And you know what they want to do? Like many of us, they're just like, I don't want to do this, man. I don't want to do it. But here's what they do. They follow the Old Testament law of Moses, and they show up at the temple. And what does God do to them in probably a weak, exhausted, frustrated, weary point of their lives? He sends two prophets. He sends Simeon, and we're not reading it now, but he sends Anna as well from the tribe of Asher, a prophetess, who bless and prophesy over their son. So often, hope fails because in our weariness and exhaustion, we isolate and we run to solitude rather than into the community of God's church and people. Richard Baxter, Puritan writer and thinker, said this. He wrote a devotional, or it's, it was taken, I got it from a devotional, but it was a devotional on overcoming seasons of depression, anxiety, and melancholy, right? Just sadness, just down. And he says this, he says this, avoid all unnecessary solitude and as much as possible keep honest and cheerful company. In this season of melancholy, you need others and are not sufficient unto yourselves. God will use and honor others as extensions of his hand to deliver his blessings. Solitude, he says, solitude is for those who are fit for it and provides an excellent time for meditation and conversation with God and with our own hearts. But for you who is exhausted and weary and melancholy and anxious and depressed, for you it is a great time of temptation and danger. If Satan tempted Christ himself when he was fasting and alone in the wilderness, how much more will he take this as his opportunity against you? Solitude, yes, invites pondering and reflection. And these are things for you that you must escape if you would not lose everything. Mary and Joseph were blessed by an extension of Simeon's prophecy and blessing on their son. And here's the thing. A lot of people are weary right now. And a lot of people are tired. And so often the first thing we want to do is we want to disconnect. I'm guilty of that. I'm big time guilty of that. I'm naturally a little bit more introverted anyways. But sometimes that's the season where I need to be more surrounded by the people of God. And people that love me and care for me. And look out for me like Mary and Joseph did. It's a hope that is brought about 
because they are the ones that redirect my eyes vertically rather than horizontally. What about you? Where are you at? As you come into 2022, as you're online, man, we've got women's groups starting. Dana Nicewander does an incredible job with our women's ministry. That woman could run a small country. And for our women's ministry, she basically does. But there are groups, ladies, that you can get engaged in with women who will love on you and care for you and that you in turn can love on and care for as well. Men, it's, look, I love Simon and Garfunkel, but they're liars. You are not a rock, you are not an island. You were made to be known and to know others. We have a men's weekend kicking off that first weekend in January. Take it as an opportunity to engage with some guys in the church or invite some people and get, engage, and get involved in a men's group. Maybe your marriage is what's isolating. Maybe for the last two years during this whole season, your marriage is just tanked. And you don't know how to deal with it, so you've just cut off all relationships. And you're coexisting just long enough to get the kids out of the house. No. No, 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 no. There's an entire ministry of people here in this church who love on and care and restore broken marriage relationships or hurting marriage relationships. Your hope cannot be tied to the horizontal, cannot be done in isolation. So what does 2022 look like? What has the end of this year and this Advent season brought about for you? I pray that it has reminded you of the gospel, of God with you, and that your hope is not tied to what may come up in 2022, but it is tied to something eternal, someone personal, and in a community of believers as well. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Lord, we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen.